2: Hello and welcome to All Things Policy. I'm Atish Padhi, your host for today. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about abortion in India. In the United States, there is much ongoing discussion around a leaked draft opinion by the U.S. Supreme Court that reveals that the landmark Roe v. Wade judgment, which protected abortion rights in the country, is set to be overturned. The discussion has gone beyond the philosophy of the U.S. Constitution or the judiciary and has been centered around women's rights and the importance of safe and legal abortion. Now, such a discussion needs to be global, even in countries where abortion is not such a contentious issue as it is in the United States. India is one such example. Now, abortion in India is legal and has been for many decades. With me today to discuss the state of abortion access and policy in India are Priyal and Arushi. Hi and welcome.
0: Hi. Hello.
2: All right. So let's begin by what the law says about abortion in India. So like... When did a coherent abortion policy emerge in the country and how is that evolved?
1: Right. So getting into, I think, to understand the evolution, you sort of go back to the history, right? So the Indian Penal Code um, 1862 and the Code of Criminal Procedure 1898, which uh, with their origins in the British offences against the Persons Act 1861, made abortion a punishable crime for both the woman as well as the abortionist, except for when it came to saving the life of a woman. The 1960s and 70s saw the liberalization of abortion laws across uh, Europe and America. And this sort of liberalization continued in many other parts of the world through the 1980s. Now, the liberalization of abortion law in India began somewhere in 1964. And this was mainly due to high maternal mortality due to unsafe abortion. And the doctors frequently came across like extremely ill or dying women who had um, gone for unsafe abortions, which were carried out by unskilled practitioners. And this got them to realize that a lot of women seeking abortions were married and were under no sociocultural pressure to conceal their pregnancies. And that, you know, decriminalizing abortion would encourage women to seek abortion services in legal as well as in safe settings. So the government of India then appointed the Shah Committee, uh, and this committee carried out a comprehensive review of the sociocultural, legal, and medical aspects of abortion, and in 1966, recommended uh, legalizing abortion to prevent, you know, wastage of women's health and lives on both, you know, compassionate as well as on medical grounds. And the term, the medical termination of pregnancy, MTP, uh, was used to reduce opposition from social religious groups, which were averse to liberalization of of abortion law. Um, The MTP Act, which was then passed by the parliament in 1971, legalized abortion in all of India, except for the states of Jammu and Kashmir. Now, the MTP Act, confers full protection to a registered allopathic medical practitioner against any legal or criminal proceedings for any injury caused to a woman seeking abortion, provided that the abortion was done in good faith under the terms of the Act. And the Act allows, um, prior to the amendment, right, the Act allowed an unwanted pregnancy to be terminated up to 20 weeks of pregnancy. And it required a second doctor's approval if the pregnancy is beyond 12 weeks. And the grounds under which uh, termination could be conducted included uh, if there was any grave risk to the physical or mental health of the woman in her environment or when the pregnancy was a result of a contraceptive failure or in on humanitarian grounds. And when I say humanitarian gra- grounds, I mean if the pregnancy happened because of a sex crime such as rape or on uh, eugenic grounds And like if there was substantial risk uh, that if the child is born, it would suffer from deformity or disease. And uh, in the event of um, abortion to save the woman's life, the law actually made some exceptions uh, in the sense that the doctor need not have any stipulated experience or training, but still needs to be a registered allopathic medical practitioner. And um, now the medical termination of pregnancy uh, rules and regulations define the criteria and procedures for approval of an abortion facility, uh, procedures for consent, keeping the records and reports, and, and also ensuring confidentiality. But there was a lot of bureaucracy, uh, bureaucratic problems associated. So in order to reduce the bureaucracy for, you know, receiving the approvals for facilities, there was an amendment made to this act in 2003, which allowed it to have decentralized regulation of abortion facilities from the state level to the district committees. And when the MTP Act was amended in 2003, it also recognized medical abortion methods and allowed a registered medical practitioner, for example, even a family physician, to provide certain abortion drugs in a clinical setting to terminate a pregnancy up to seven weeks provided um, that the doctor has uh, had either an on-site capability or access to a facility which was capable of performing surgical abortion if there was, you know, a fa- incomplete or a failed medical abortion.
2: Uh, so thanks, Priyal, for uh, that comprehensive summary of uh, the evolution of the abortion law in India. Now, in 2021, last year, India saw its latest amendment to the Medical Termination of Pregnancy Act, right? And under that, there have been several reforms. Uh, can you throw a little bit more light on that, and also touch on like some of the contentions that might emerge from from those reforms?
1: Right. Uh, so one thing is that um, the new medical termination of pregnancy amendment act, two thousand twenty one aims to expand the access to safe and legal abortion services on you know, therapeutic, eugenic, humanitarian, and social grounds to ensure universal access to comprehensive care. And this uh, law came to force in 2021 on 25th March. It's also supposed to contribute towards ending preventable maternal m- mortality. Uh, now, there are certain key amendments that they have made to this Act. First things is... Uh, Previously, I spoke about how there was an upper gestation limit in the previous uh, one, right? So here they've increased the upper gestation limit from 20 weeks to 24 weeks for special categories of women, including survivors of rape, victims of incest, and other vulnerable women, uh, like differently abled women, minors, and others. Now, the... There's also the, you know, you need to have an opinion of one one doctor to terminate the pregnancy up to 20 weeks of gestation. And in order to terminate a a pregnancy between 20 to 24 weeks, you need an opinion of two medical practitioners. Now, this another thing is the upper gestation limit does not apply in cases of substantial fetal abnormalities uh, diagnosed by a medical board and um, it also says that uh, this medical board will consist of gynecologist pediatrician radiologist and uh, such other member will be notified by the official gazette, by the state government or the union territories. There's also a confidentiality clause where the name and other particulars of a woman whose uh, pregnancy has been terminated cannot be revealed except to a person authorized by law. And um, the MTP services have been extended to unmarried women uh, to provide like access to safe abortion. Based on women's a woman's choice, irrespective of uh, marital status. Prior to this amendment, the law specified that only a, a quote unquote married woman with and her husband could do this.
2: Just to clarify, when you uh, said that uh, for fetuses with uh, abnormalities before birth, the upper gestation period does not apply. Does that mean like uh, just to clarify, it means that you can get an abortion even after twenty-four weeks? Yeah, if- yeah,
1: yeah. That that's what it means. And there is some you know, point contention there because um, uh, as far as I know, there's also I think um, if there is any disabled uh, differently abled uh, child, uh, then you can uh, terminate the pregnancy by inducing labor because at 24 weeks the baby is quite developed, right? It's almost a 6 month old baby. So if the fetus is born alive then you have another question. So should it be resuscitated? And if that is the case, then who handles the responsibility of the child? So those things come into picture.
2: Right. So that poses a whole bunch of different right. yeah. ethical questions, because if you have to induce labor, then yeah. all right, uh, Okay. Yeah, uh, sorry. Sorry for interrupting you. Uh, you were talking about some of the other drawbacks or like contentions to, to the reforms.
1: I think one of the contentions that I could see outright was the fact that you needed uh, opinion of two doctors for uh, if you have to terminate the pregnancy between 20 to 24 months because in a lot of places um, you yeah 20 to 24 weeks sorry uh, 20 to 24 weeks uh, of pregnancy is that in a lot of places getting an opinion of one doctor itself is very difficult right because there's such severe shortage of medical professionals especially during the pandemic and so so in between all of that, uh, especially in villages where, you know, finding one doctor is hard. How do you expect women to run helter-skelter to get opinions of two doctors? And the law says that it's a woman's sort of right to get an abortion. But at the end of the day, the decision still rests at the hand of the doctor. So if they, they come with any prejudices, then and if they deny an abortion, then you have you have no other choice.
0: Yeah, I think just sort of building on Priyal's point that even though we could say that you know a woman does not require the approval of her husband or partner if she's an adult, of sound mind and wants to get an abortion, but we have to acknowledge the fact that India is a highly patriarchal society and women will find it hard to access abortion even if such a law exists. This is because even though by law you aren't required to have approval, it's been noted as I also know from accompanying a couple of people that healthcare providers will often ask the woman to go and get permission from someone in their family, even though it's not required. And over and above this, if even if they carry out the procedure, their confidentiality and privacy has been breached. And we're talking about this from the perspective of extremely privileged women, but marginalized women, which could include sex workers, could include uh, HIV positive women, could in- include people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, say, are going to find it even more difficult to not merely access abortion, but also access safe abortion. Over and above this, I think another contention with this is that while the amendment does sort of broaden the scope for abortion, it does nothing to improve the geographical access that people might have to abortion. For instance, in 2015, there was a study by the Lancet that said that about 1.56 crore abortions were accessed in India, but out of these, 78% were conducted outside of health facilities. This is because about 66% of India's population is living in the rural part of the country and there's a severe shortage of not just medical professionals, but more specifically OBGYNs who would be the most proficient at performing such a procedure. And as a result, what means this happens is that a lot of the abortions in rural areas are being performed by midwives, by auxiliary nurses or by people, by WHO standards, by WHO standards that would be considered unsafe. To look at data from the NFHS from 2015-16, there are only about 20% of abortions that take place in public healthcare facilities. But private clinics and hospitals, which are largely concentrated in urban India, were responsible for 52% of abortions. And even here, we have to understand that when it comes to private clinics, there is a very high economic cost associated with these kind of procedures. So I think while the... You know, we can look at the amendment of 2021 as progressive, it is also extremely paternalistic, and it does not really tackle on-ground realities when it comes to the kind of society that India is already living in, or the previous issues that existed with respect to geographical access to medical resources for women.
1: Also, I think uh, to add on to that point, like what Arushi said, right? This in general, this topic in general is extremely taboo in our country. So for women to sort of even have a conversation about abortion, it's sort of like frowned upon. So it seems like this act is extremely, um, how do I put it? It aims high while not understanding the ground realities like what Arushi said.
2: Yes. uh, Thank you. Thank you very much uh, to both of you for like bringing those perspectives uh which otherwise we might miss because uh the, the stat you brought in about uh rural india arushi was was excellent to show that already when there are shortages of medical professionals and and just clinics in general to also require them to get an opinion uh, it just means that more people will opt to have abortions at their in their homes right because even in the discussions that are happening in the U.S. right now, a lot of people are saying that by banning abortions, you don't like really stop abortions; you just make them unsafe, right? So similarly, by you could you can say a very similar thing about if you just were to add this bureaucratic clause of asking for a doctor's permission before you go ahead, then that just means women will opt other ways to get it done if, if they are facing that kind of pressure. So, all right. So uh, another contention with this amendment can also be that. There are certain conditions, like like you said, under which abortions can be received, right? So a woman will have to specify why she is getting an abortion under these specific, under these very specific uh, grounds that are laid. Now the grounds have been expanded from before, as you as you said, and that is a good thing, I suppose. But if one were to take it to their logical conclusion, then it should only mean that a woman, uh, if if they have sexual autonomy and they have reproductive rights and rights over their body it should mean that they should be able to uh, get abortion without having to necessarily specify why they are doing so right can you dwell a little bit more on that uh, priya naroshi
1: um right so actually when we talk about abortion and like when we talk about body autonomy it means that uh, you don't have to you shouldn't have to specify a reason right so you the fact that A lot of times women may not be ready for having a child for various reasons. But because this law sort of, you know, brackets uh, certain cases itself, it sort of limits um, getting abortions for various other reasons. Now, for example, the law says that if a woman is going through some uh, mental issues or like if she's not mentally prepared to have a child, she can seek abortion. But if, say, suppose... Uh, the doctor doesn't necessarily agree with this reasoning, then if they deny the abortion, then where will the woman go? So in that sort of way, I think it strictly uh, restricts the body autonomy part for women. And it makes it, and gives the entire power of control to the doctors at the end of the day.
2: Right. And also, uh, uh, as, a, as a small aside here, and uh, we're not going to delve into this too much, because none of us are lawyers, but Uh, there have been uh, discussions about how this uh, sits with the right to privacy, right? Uh, That that we have under Article 21. Now, in the Supreme Court judgment, under the Puttaswami judgment, which which said that we do have a fundamental right to privacy, the judges specifically mentioned uh, reproductive rights as an example, right? So uh, a very interesting question arises is whether a law like this uh, would past standards of privacy laid down by that judgment, That right? Because if you were to say that right to privacy means that a woman has a uh, choice over what to do and reproductive rights, then it has to, then, then any curbing of that has to be proportional and has to ensure that the state interest that is being protected is proportional and, and is the least restrictive, basically. And there are questions about what the state interest here is uh, by restricting it to certain grounds like socioeconomic grounds or health. And one can say that uh, they want women to be safe, right? They want women to be safe and not get unsafe abortions. But as we have discussed earlier, that state interest uh, does not really hold up very much because of other access issues. The other state interest could be that they want the the life of that uh, fetus to be preserved and not just be, you know, randomly, uh, within quotes, get aborted. But uh, both the Supreme Court and the Bombay High Court, I think, have previously asserted that uh, because that fetus is growing within a woman's body, the life, so-called, of the the fetus cannot be placed above the woman's uh, autonomy over her body. And I don't think that has been really discussed as, as much uh, in this context.
1: Yeah, also because this point that you bring out is extremely important, uh, right? Because the MTP Act of 2021 contradicts the Supreme Court 2017 privacy judgment, uh, which like you said, ruled that a woman's right to make reproductive choices is a um, dimension of personal liberty. And any law that restricts a person's privacy must be, quote unquote, just reasonable and fair. And now if, um, you know, the India's abortion law is put to test, then this, under this particular, you know, reason, it could potentially fail. And basically, it's sort of like the law does not allow a woman to decide for her own pregnancy, but sort of gives her... Uh, you know, narrow set of conditions where doctors and the medical boards decide for her. And there is a lot of, um, from my reading, what I understand is that there is a lot of uh, gray area or sort of like an overlap between the MTP and the uh, other laws. Because the Protection of Child from Sexual Offenses Act and uh, the Drug and Cosmetics Act mandates that if a minor conceives, even though if it is a consensual sex and wants to abort, the matter has to be reported to the police, and the amended MTP law actually guarantees privacy to the parties involved in abortion. Similarly, the medical abortion. Uh, pills that are classified um, as Schedule H drugs, um, which means that the pharmacist must maintain the record of the sales under the Drugs and Cosmetics Act. Now, this again violates the confidentiality which is promised by the MPP Act 2021. And I don't think, you know, uh, while formulating this or this amendment, none of these things were taken into
0: consideration. Before we go any further, uh, it's time to take a break. Hello, welcome back. You're listening to All Things Policy and we are discussing abortion laws in
2: India. Before we end this episode, Priyal and Arushi, uh, what do you, uh, and we've discussed a lot about the current law and and its drawbacks, but where do you uh, see this going next? What can India do better to ensure safer, abortions to to women to ensure that their rights are protected so what what can be what can be done better according to you
0: yeah so i think the first thing that needs to be done is whenever any policy is instituted that radically maybe transforms and affects people's lives the first thing that it should be doing is we should be informing people with this knowledge that things have changed and we need to that this is the change and this is how it affects you and i think A large part of the problem when it comes to a lot of policies in India has been that people aren't aware of the entitlements that they have. And this results in lower uptake of policy. So it could be that people, specifically women, aren't even aware that they have the right to go and get an abortion in case they don't want to conceive the baby. Um, I think the second thing would also be more generally as a very optimistic and a blue sky picture would be that women's position in society itself is improved, where you know, decisions about whether they want to have a child or not are contingent on them and not on other members of the family, which even though the law states as of now it isn't in practice, that is what is ending up happening with healthcare providers asking for this kind of information. So I think the first step would be towards letting women know that they do have this entitlement, that they're empowered to make this choice. And um, the second thing would be obviously increasing the amount of, OBGYN, specifically women, so that the people who are going to get these abortions are more comfortable getting them. And it also improves or increases the chances of you know, safer abortions because OBGYNs are the ones who are the most proficient. Who would be the most proficient in carrying out these procedures?
1: I think adding on to what Arushi said, because I agree with all of her points, is also to include LGBTQ community into these conversations. Because as far as I saw in the act, there was no mention of uh, trans people, uh, and they are, you know, right for abortion. So I think um, that also needs to be addressed moving forward.
2: All right. Uh, Great recommendations from both of you. And I hope uh, abortion law in India gets better. And more importantly, uh, the way we think about it, the access and all of it uh, evolves. So that's it from today. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM Podcast app, ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashila.inst or our website takshashila.org.in.